Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And hello and welcome to the Niler Nine podcast. It is episode 123 on the Niler Nine podcast. It is Niall and Andrea here doing a deep dive into the music of Daft Punk. That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Daft Punk. They split this week and we're going to talk about their music, their legacy, what it means to us and everything that that encapsulates and what that means for, for music and culture and the world and, oh, you know, small topics, big topics. Who knows? <laughs> Andrea. I'm going to address the listeners and tell them honestly that this this Daft Punk segment was supposed to be one part of a kind of a end of month roundup thing. We're only really supposed to talk about them for 15 minutes and then we realised about an hour in that we should probably just put it out as an episode so we've already talked about Daft Punk yeah. and this is us coming to you from the end so just a little peek behind the curtain like the two robots we're coming to you from the future to uh, illuminate your present <laughs> um so yeah here's us talking about Daft Punk and why we're sad but why we're also not too sad begin with two Parisian youngsters, Thomas Bangalter and Guy Manuel de Homam Christois. If you were in a pub quiz and somebody said name the two members of Daft Punk, would you have been able to do it? I would have been able to name Thomas Bangalter and Guy Manuel, but not his second name. Okay, that's fair. That's <laughs> you know, one like, oh. That's one and a half marks, I reckon. 
One and a half points. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. It was an interesting one. On Monday, the band posted a clip from their kind of avant-garde sci-fi film called Electroma from 2006, I believe it was. And just edited it slightly in the film. They blow themselves up as when they're obviously they helmeted robots. But they changed the a title card to say 1993 to 2001. First, it wasn't clear if this was you know, the end of some sort of chapter or they were just finished with the helmets or whatever because that was something that was talked about at the time when Electroma came out that people thought they were just going to stop using the helmets. Confirmed by a publicist that Daft Punk are no longer going to make music as Daft Punk. Obviously, there are people out there who believe that maybe this is all a cynical ploy and they'll just come back in a couple of years. But in fairness to Daft Punk, they always kept us guessing in terms of their music. They always kept us guessing. Uh, There's always a corner of the internet where rumors about their new releases and gigs and tours and stuff would always spread like wildfire people wanted daft punk to play live people wanted daft punk to do the live tour to do the pyramid thing again so they had an absolutely incredible career a career that took them from a couple of young guys making acid and kind of house and techno in paris and all the way to the grammys in 2014 where they cleaned up and in between became two of the most influential outsider insider artists of the last 28 years they did soundtracks for disney on the tron legacy they collaborated with venerated uh, video directors michelle gondry and spike jones provided some productions and tracks for the weekend and kanye as well they released of course the sound of the summer thanks to limmy and uh, would get lucky but they were always, they've been ever present in the generations that have been listening and, and loving music and beyond since they first appeared with Homework. I think we probably have a different, we probably have a different era, myself and yourself, in terms mm. of, because I can tell you that, you know, a favorite era, because I can tell you that, like, when I think of Daft Punk, what I think of is the first album homework and the excitement of listening to daft punk hearing something that i'd never heard before the only techno or house i was i had heard before was like thunderdome and that was mm-hmm. like this horrendously high energy dutch kind of european excruciatingly banging um <laughs> dance music and it just was like where's the nah. and home homework was 1997 right yeah, nineteen ninety seven. So okay. I was So where were you in your life? At the time. You... Yeah. I was fifteen. I was I liked guitar music, but I was also getting into the likes of DJ Shadow and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I remember distinctly, you know, the excitement about Daft Punk's music. I think I don't know if I'd heard or seen the videos first. Maybe that's what had happened, but I'm not quite sure about the timeline. But I remember like my dad had an office at home and he had a dial up internet at that time. And I remember probably early, ni- late 1996, early 1997, must have been just before the album came out because that was January, being at home and loading up a real player file of a song snippet of the, uh, trying to listen to what the uh, previews of the songs from Homework. And uh, we can actually take a, a quick trip back to that time and hear exactly what that might have sounded like. When This is me trying to, listen to a Daft Punk song on the internet in 1997.
anyone who remembers trying to stream something I did there, especially with real player at the time, would have remember that the quality was very very low so i was able to replicate that uh, by taking a clip of the original file and uh showing you what that might sound like and i remember just the excitement of listening to something like that i remember i probably listened to like rock and roll and rolling scratching and teachers and i was like these preview songs and i was like what is this i was so excited by it mm. and on a school tour that year I think it was 19, must have been 1997. We went through France and we stopped in a French supermarket and I remember going to buy the CD single in the, like, the music section of the French supermarket, uh, this big French supermarket. But I heard yesterday that, um, I read yesterday that the Daft, it was, so it was Daft Funk single, uh, Back With Music, and it was apparently sold more copies in france than the album did originally so mm. there you go uh, that was the cd single that i got i loved the funk i loved how it sounded i loved that it you know it had a cool weird music video that didn't make sense with a dog talking dog who was really sad who didn't, couldn't get on the bus and all this kind of stuff i loved around the world when it came out and just those kind of songs uh, you know they just basically I was intrigued and I was enraptured about the whole thing and I thought it was so cool. At the time, you know, they were very smart in the early days. They licensed homework to Virgin, but they kept their uh, own the rights to their master recordings on their own label. And at the time, this wasn't something that was really done. And so they were kind of asked about it a lot, even though they didn't do a lot of interviews. But maybe in the early days before they started wearing masks, they re- like the first album, they weren't wearing these masks at all. And they said, we've got much more control than money. We can't, you can't get everything. We live in a society where money is what people want. So we live in a society, Daft Punk 1997. (laughs) We, we, we chose control is freedom. People say we're control freaks, but controlling your, is controlling your destiny without controlling other people. We're not trying to manipulate other people, just control what we do ourselves. Controlling what we do is being free. And I think that was something that they kind of always did, even though they existed inside this major label system over the years and like became one of the biggest acts in the world they totally did their own thing and they kept everything at arm's length even right up until up until random access memories they really didn't Mm. do a lot of you know well until kanye they were like they they were otherworldly they had the Mm. helmets they spaceships all that kind of stuff they just didn't seem like they they were were a band they really played on the robot thing they were a band that had a philosophy like that. That quote shows you that from from the outset, they were a band who thought about things like control of their own music in a kind of a philosophical way in in, in terms of freedom and in terms of their own expression. Like, And I think that that's probably what set them apart, maybe from the the sorts of like European dance music that you remember from from be, being around at that time, do you know? Like Thomas Bangalter's dad was Daniel Vanguard and he was a well-known French songwriter and producer. He co-wrote songs from Ottoman, D-I-S-C-O. So he would have apparently advised them handy to have somebody who's been through it all mm. and then can go and uh, impart that advice on a, on a couple of youngsters. But I think the thing that, you know, because they obfuscated themselves and with the helmets and with the pyramid, maybe on, on Random Max Mouse is more obvious because it's a more of a studio record. But even in the very early days... 
first of all, technically they were so good. They were so good at what they were doing. There's a brilliant footage that uh, was kind of um, reshared this week from the Even Further Festival in 1996. That's a festival in Wisconsin that the Daft Punk played in America for the first time. Looks like this kind of crusty, kind of cool, like dance festival, which didn't happen really in, in America, it seems at the time. But even, you know, the excitement to be able to bring this kind of Chicago house and acid kind of inspired music to America where it kind of started and and to be able to get this reaction was just something that they were really, really good at. But well, listen, I spent a lot of time <clears throat> listening back to the early stuff this week and I think what gets me is that they were so good. They understand club dynamics. They understand... They had such imagination in the tracks. Like, I've been listening to Alive 97 a lot. This even further Roman scratching. Like, just listening to this. Let's have a quick listen to it, just to give you a flavour. And this is, like, just the crowd reaction to this is insane. And there is a rumour going around that this whole, this was Roland scratching came from this performance because it was maybe a mistake. So this is kind of what it sounds like. My heart, Niall. I can't take it. It sounds like it's so much fun. I just want to dance. <laughs> <sighs> sorry, <No>. go on. <laughs> I'm so well, sad. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, that's the thing we've we've talked about this before. Like, I'm I'm enjoying this uh, that kind of uh, escapism, and you're maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're I like, can't. It make it makes me way too sad. I I listened to a Robin song last night, and I nearly <laughs> start crying. I actually can't go near it. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to improve your mood for a second because I mm. want to play this, uh, the kick in in Alive 97, just so, I mean, Alive 97 is just a, a beautiful uh, recording that they did in a gig in Birmingham that was released four years later in 2001, just after Discovery, I believe. And um, there's just a wonderful bit of, you know, the first bit of the funk coming in uh, and just the mastery that they had and, and they were able to bring that across I obviously can't play the whole thing but across like 12 minutes of music and just twist it and reverse it and all this kind of stuff so here it is very simply just or use the this sample in a way that just is instantly recognizable and people go completely nuts for it <laughs> So there you have it. I mean, that's the early days. I did a, a piece on the site yesterday, mostly about the uh, a lot of the DJ sets, and uh, they did an essential mix for BBC Radio One, which is brilliant. Um, they did a lot of live sets and things like that. That they kind of stopped DJing after after homework. They didn't really do anything like that anymore. Mm. Um, and that was that's a pity in a way because I know Thomas Bangalter did a lot of stuff on his under his own name, but really they didn't do a lot of that kind of stuff. And I I think. You know, he obviously did Music Sounds Better With You with Stardust, but they really didn't do a lot after that. Mm. And 
before we leave the homework here, I just want to, you know, I mean, I mentioned the funk and how it was like really just moved me in a weird, I was just like, this is such a weird song. I love it. It's so cool and clinical and, and odd. And I feel the same about Around the World, which is just, you know, their first pop song. I think mm. it was the band's first pop song. It is built on this bass line that's just unbelievable. Um, sure, here, let's have a second of it. And again, you know, they were always so good at visual stuff as well, even in the early days, getting Michelle Gondry to do the video for this and mm. kind of bring that cascading bass line and the kind of bounciness, popcorn bounciness of that song to life in a in a choreography. Um, and they said, Daft Punk at the time said it was like making a chic record with a talk box and just playing the bass on the synthesizer. Mm. Um, uh Trivia for you. Trivia question for you. Is a good. Oh. This be a good one now for a quiz. How many times does around the the word the phrase around the world oh, appear that's in this song? Such a good I'll question. give you three three guesses. Is it okay. 88, 144 or hundred and eighty eight? I'm gonna say hundred and eighty eight. I think it's said quite a lot. No, it's hundred and forty four, isn't it? <laughs> it is said quite a lot, but I'm it's hundred and forty four. Is it? Oh, hundred and forty four, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Around the world was my first introduction to Daft Punk as a as a young Okay, well let's let's go with it. Let's go with it. Yeah, there. so I mean you, your your first. So we're talking nineteen ninety seven. So I was six and I was living still with my brother who at around this time would have been starting to get he he's like a audio producer and stuff now and he, he used to DJ a lot and around this time he was probably around 13 or 14 I think he got his first set of decks when he was 13 so he was starting to really get into this sort of thing and I remember I wonder if he remembers this but I remember him calling me into the room when the music video was on MTV um, he called me in and he was like have have a look at this uh, and I watched it and I was like oh this is this is funny this is cool I'm into this because I mean I was six I didn't I didn't know anything about music like I liked my mom's ABBA CD but I like I didn't I was a baby I didn't know anything but it's it's actually one of the first things I remember liking and being like yeah I like this and there's something in the kind of the repetition of it in the costuming in, in the repetition of the visuals as well the way it kind of it you are kind of stuck on this loop and I think it kind of it, it it's a fantastic introduction to electronic dance house music for somebody very very small because it, it kind of forces you to get used to the idea that there's going to be a lot of repetition here but that the repetition <laughs> and the small changes the small incremental changes that happen are the thing that you're listening out for and the thing that you're kind of embracing and enjoying so that was my first kind of um introduction to Daft Punk but you know didn't know who they were didn't know anything about it just knew that it was this cool kind of music video and then I guess time passed and I, I never listened to homework when I started sort of getting into music proper I, w I was getting into guitar music and I wasn't getting into this I, I Part of it was probably me setting myself apart from my brother, uh, who was into electronic music, and I had to kind of find my own thing, which was the guitar music. But then, like my my group of friends when I was a teenager, we would have been kind of 
annoyingly into guitar music like we we would refuse to listen to pop music we'd refuse to listen to electronic music because that's what quote unquote everyone else was listening to and we didn't get along with everybody else sort of thing it was very very clicky sort of groups that's what you do when you're a teen though you know exactly you yeah and, and it was it was like, a, i define like, myself in opposition absolutely yeah we fully defined ourselves in in opposition and this went on for a few years and then i remember i remember just kind of talking about music with a, a couple of the older lads and one of the lads mentioned daft punk and i was like you like daft punk because i just kind of knew that they were like an electronic thing and that they were yeah. really really popular i mean this probably would have been around 2014 or 2015 so a few years after discovery i was like oh you like daft punk but they're like really popular and he was like no like shut up <laughs> basically like lent me discovery and was like you're gonna love this this is like these guys are rock stars you know um so i remember going home and listening to it and just that's such a strong opening on that record i was like oh i just kind of felt my world widen so so much and so for me the album that got me into daft punk was discovery and then it was that sort of thing of those those same group of lads being like oh yeah well you haven't listened to homework so you're not a real fan kind of thing <laughs> there's always oh, there's yeah. always reason enough for me not yeah. to be a real fan of anything but then you know I went and listened and I listened to homework and and I kind of put two and two together about this band being the band that I remember from when I was really really young and being into it so for me like Discovery I I, I listened back to it this morning and I, I don't know. I don't know where it I don't tend to talk about Daft Punk a whole lot with friends. I think it's just kind of there's a there's an understanding yeah. that we all like Daft Punk, but I never really get I I never quite understand wh where the fans as a kind of a whole land on all of these records. You mentioned before uh, we started recording that to you, Discovery was at the time really, really overplayed, whereas I yeah. think I, I was coming into it like two or three years after its release having right. absolutely like I was I was 15 so I wasn't going to clubs yeah my perspective was I was in college and it, again there was a bit of that uh, defining yourself in opposition mm. uh, one more time was on every night you went out as a student you know you'd hear it everywhere you went and I can see that driving you absolutely mad because that's how I felt about Kanye West when I was in college that's why I hated Kanye yeah, West yeah exactly so yeah. and then the more you hear this the more you're saturated by one thing and especially when One More Time is a bit of a like, it's not a clever lyrical song. It's a dumb, you know, <laughs> celebrate tonight, yeah. all that shit. You know, it's it's not clever. So you're kind of looking at everyone else going, these people are idiots because they <laughs> think this is the best thing ever. And yeah. like, it is a good song. But when you're a bit younger, you're like, oh, I define myself a bit there. I like better. I like square pushers, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. That would be me at that time. But I was also like, I can recognize it's a good song, but I also, it just got overplayed to the point where like, even now I was like, mm, I don't know if I can enjoy this much. Yeah. Do you know, do you know what, what that's, that song for me is stronger by Kanye West. Like I recognize now that it's wonderful, but I, it was played so, so much in, during my college years and during like nights out in clubs and house parties and stuff that I, I can't connect with it. Um, yeah. so that's that's that for me yeah that's true and I think even at the time like Discovery was so massive that like my dad bought a copy of it instead of me do you know what I mean mm. like that, that was the kind of record it was 
But I remember when I actually got the album and I heard it and I was listening to it, I was like, there's a lot here that is actually quite, you know, it's not as obvious as One More Time. Obviously, there's big singles on it, like Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, you know, uh, Digital Love, uh, Aerodynamic. And then there's like this couple of weird songs in there. Like there's a couple of things in there. And one of the things that struck me listening to it again this week was just how... I think actually Richie J put up a, a little video of himself playing this song is a uh, very dis quo, which is mm-hmm. also uh, a pun on the title very disco. So uh, therefore discovery. So that's the 11th track on the album. And it's actually just such a beautiful like piece of music. It's just mm. this wonderful instrumental, very French, very French, very like lovely, mm-hmm. quaint almost instrumental cinematic in a way as well So when you actually did finally get to listen to the enjoy the album, what was mm. what was what moved you on it? What did you like? Do you know, like I think the the immediacy and the urgency of aerodynamic was absolutely huge because to me that was that was a big rock song. That was like a huge stadium rock song, but just through this like new prism that I hadn't really thought about before. And I think this was also like around the time that I got my first pair of like headphones, like proper headphones that weren't like garbage. <laughs> so I was like listening to the like I, I was listening to this, like would have been on maybe my disc man or like my home like CD yeah. thing. And and I like I just I, I, I don't know if I'd been listening to a lot of music that had as much like bass. I think this was the first time I was appreciating bass as being not not like it's just supportive in rock music because obviously it's not but bass as being like the driving force whereas in rock music maybe that would have been drums or maybe I would have been personally focusing a bit more on the guitars but with this album and with aerodynamic in particular I was just so moved by the yeah the sense of urgency of it and the the sense of immediacy and how much it physically made me want to move and you know when you're a 15 year old teenager you don't want to do a whole lot of movement you kind of just want to yeah. laze about a bit and listen to <laughs> John Mayer or whatever <laughs> and yeah and, and it was it oh, was it was like that's ha- for another day <laughs> yeah no I actually that was that was only a joke I never liked Don Mayer and I'm really smug about it <laughs> like, did you see and this is an aside I saw um <laughs> I saw this headline that was like John Mayer says he quote almost qu- cried five times during the Britney Spears documentary and I was like why oh <laughs> shut up he almost Don had Mayer. human emotion yeah almost. Al- almost cried five times like that doesn't like almost crying five times does not make crying one time like I just I don't understand the maths of that anyway um but yeah so it was it was just this sense of like the new and the sense of movement and the sense that I didn't know everything yet (laughs) you know what I mean like that that there was music that was able to move me that wasn't sad music that it was happy music and it was celebratory and and popular and that was a really big 
like landmark moment for me when I when I realized that and weirdly it kind of connected our group with like other groups that we would have been sort of like enemies with like I I remember kind of talking to some girls in my school then about Daft Punk and then being like yeah yeah we're really into it like they'd go to the disco and we'd go to like the other like rock uh kind of gig thing and they'd be like yeah like that kind of stuff is played at the disco thing all the time I sound like my mom the disco but you know um (laughs) so yeah it was disco yeah yeah so aerodynamic was a really big one um because it was it was one of the tracks that I hadn't previously heard like I'd previously heard one more time I'd heard digital love I'd heard harder better faster stronger but and like aerodynamic was a single but I hadn't heard it um, All right, well, so. let's hear a bit of it then, just to yeah. refresh ourselves. I definitely I want to talk a bit about that little solo section because I think that was the thing that changed everything for me (laughs) because I mean it it sounds like I I don't actually maybe you're able to tell me now like I don't know if that is like was played on a guitar and sped up or if it was like put through some program or something but there's something that sounds really human about it it sounds gritty and it sounds it sounds like somebody's playing it on a fretboard but it's that kind of like face melting thing where you're like oh my god how can anyone play anything this fast how can anyone play anything this perfectly um and it's yeah I think maybe it was just that little injection of like a human sounding instrument or like an instrument being played by a human that kind of grabbed me and I was like oh there is actually like a lot of crossover between this and the rock music that I'm listening to already um and then like when when it kind of drops back in with the beat it's just like it's so euphoric (laughs) and then you have like the the bells that open it up as well and that like there's something so metal about that as well it's something really like black sabbathy or something um just made me see them as like rock stars and that you can make unbelievable rock music but you can make it electronically and that just blew my tiny little mind at the time it was unbelievable yeah it occurred to me there i was just thinking that you know i can hear the parallel there between aerodynamic and likes of early craft work even in terms of its Mm. tone and obviously it's a lot more bombastic and and a different Mm. take on things but you know there's some similarities there in terms of uh, melodies as well so uh, you can really Mm. hear that and i remember craft work being the kind of the next thing that um 
like once I was starting to get really excited about Daft Punk and I'd listened to the albums people started being like oh well do you know Kraftwerk and I'm like no and then I started listening to Kraftwerk and getting into that and again rock stars you know like just they're not playing guitar music um yeah that's a hill well, that I'll takes us then on to what comes next which is uh four years later after discovery after this massive album um the release of human after all which actually ends up being a an album that comes after a scrapped scrap sessions that they felt were going on too long and so they made an album in two weeks mm. and human after all is a very bombastic almost electro rock record it's very much like a heavy on the vocoder and to me i just didn't like it overall so i, I think just... that's that's kind of a popular thing among daft punk fans from from what i've yeah. been reading like it wasn't critically acclaimed really um and i, I mean at least i don't think it was i think i saw a couple of people mention that it didn't yeah do i so think well. i got mixed reviews anyway it wasn't brilliant yeah either. Yeah, it wasn't like the previous ones. I I think, I, but there's some some of my favorite Daft Punk songs are on this record. So which you ones? Because I find a lot so, of it very. It's so repetitive to the point of annoyance, and it's mm, the vocoder. It just feels it feels dumb in a way that's like okay, you liked here is the DNA of what you liked in the last. A lot of people liked in the last record, mm, the repetition and the vocoders, and we've just amped it up and we put guitars and stuff on it as well. Yeah, and made it really like Robot Rock. It's a it's a good idea, but it's pushed to five minutes and you're like, no, this is too much. It's just yeah, so I definitely agree. I, I, yeah, I think that's, that's it perfectly. Like Ro Robot Rock is, is, it's a banger for like the first two and a half minutes. And then you're kind of like, okay, I'd actually like something to kind of keep my attention here. Um, I think, I think the problem with Human After All is that it, funnily enough, it kind of like lacked the humanity that that the previous record had like it lacked this kind of sense of uh, the sense of cinema the sense of story um yeah it felt like a bludgeoning we're doing this this is a, mm, a re this is like this is what you want but like it doesn't there's no air on it there's no yeah space there's no room for anything only, but but i will like, say make like love is a beautiful song like yeah. i come back to that a lot because that's the only one that's kind of like this gentle here i'll just play it a little bit of it here yeah. just to just a beautiful instrumental same again just mm -hmm. you know a really simple idea um but done done in a way that's really effective and then mm -hmm. where most of the, like you've got like songs like television rules the nation and it's just like repeating the same line over and over again you're just like this is insanely uh boring and repetitive yeah like, a lot of those tracks are the things i don't like about club music <laughs>
it's so on a grid as well. Mm-hmm. It's so. I don't. Repetitive. I don't actually. I don't mind that song so much. I mean, I no. Sorry, I like that song a lot. But again, it's it's just sort of. Um, I'd like some more new newer ideas. Yeah, I think on their the own end. sometimes they can sound fine. Um, yeah. But if you listen to the album, you're like, this yeah. is the same idea, recycled and repeated. And it takes too again, long so. to get to the to my favorite song on the album, which is Technologic, which I think is yeah, that's the ninth like, tenth of ten songs. Yeah, maybe like Daft Punk like super fans are like, oh, that's such a like that's a very obvious song or whatever. But I love Technologic. Uh, like I really really love it and I I enjoy kind of same sort of thing as when I kind of hear like I love looking up like uh videos online this is something I do when I'm procrastinating I did it a lot during college I love looking up videos online of people rapping really 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 quickly um and like trying to learn all the words and technologic is is that kind of thing where you're like yeah I want to be able to (laughs) say all of these words in the right order and nail it and it's a really kind of satisfying thing to to do and yeah I think that's a great song and and like it's it's a song that does actually have a like a kind of a philosophical sort of message like but it's it it, it kind of holds you for a bit longer than like television rules the nation because that's kind of the only point of that song whereas technologic is is it's playful it's fun it's 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 kind of um it's dynamic where yeah it's dynamic quite it's not dynamic it's like we're Mm. trying to recreate 70s rock including the non-funk of it the no mm. the, the lack of rhythm it's just like this is metronomic this is happening then this comes in then this comes out now that's it it's just it lacks imagination for me overall yeah Agreed. so then we come to five years later i mean what can we then say i leave i think <laughs> i i think i yeah. i exited stage left i mean the, so right we're, we're coming up to the Pharrell greatest hits then isn't it yeah well also that yeah but then there was Tron Legacy in the meantime I I mean that's which I thought was banging yeah I mean for what it was it was good and there's yeah yeah and then we're on to random access memories are we yeah so I I did a first listen review of that uh the label invited me to a uh a listening party where everyone got to hear the album once and uh I I just remember that day so clearly and just the absolute unbelievable i was like i was incredulous about this album i was like you know people had heard get lucky and we're like oh maybe you're gonna get like this amazing cool modern retro funk uh like disco album no you're not getting that here you're getting what i still i still pretty much agree with is like a very lush immaculate prog funk album and one that was made it would in beautiful high fidelity but is thoroughly indulgent and just they were you know here are the robots going we are human after all actually and we want to make music that sounds like people and we're going to get the best session musicians in the world and we're going to get Nile Rogers on we're going to get Pharrell we're going to get some of the best people who are involved in music we're going to get Paul Williams from the musicals we're going to get Panda Bear from Animal Collective and Todd Edwards are all friends going to come back and then they just made this absolutely Mm. most indulgent beautiful sounding record you've ever heard i went back and tried to listen to it on monday or tuesday again and i like okay for example here's an here's what i think about here's the one i think encapsulates the whole album for me uh georgia by marauder i love the idea of it i love the idea of bringing a brilliant electronic producer in and talking to him or doing something with him and making something that 
kind of suggests that sounds like him his music of the past but then it just it goes from that from this lovely marauder kind of synth with him talking to this like completely ridiculous kind of jazzy prog funk thing with and then it's got these synths that go up and then you're just like this is like post-rock and then it's like it just goes too far it goes indulgent mm. and i find that a lot of the times it's either with random acts of memories you're like julian casablanca's instant crush where it's like this is a nice song but like mm. it's also not much happens in it uh, and like same with like lose yourself to dance it's just like it's basically just like a loop and same with get lucky as well mm. um, there's a lot of that on this I, album i think get lucky is like we we it need to admit song. that Get Lucky song. is a yeah. great song. Like, there's no denying it. Um, yeah, but summer. this this album, I oh god, I like I listened to Discovery and Homework this morning, and I was like really enjoying listening to them. Then I was like, right, I suppose I better go and listen to Random Access Memories. I listened to Get Lucky, and then I was like, and then I got into like the next song, and I was like, I don't want to listen to this, so I just didn't. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's how I'm feeling about it. Like, still, like it's it's not it's not that I. I don't I don't hold, you know, I, I love Daft Punk, but I don't love them in a way that I feel really like protective of them. Um, I mean, no encores. Dave Hanready has uh, endured a lot of the very, saga. <laughs> very, very protective Daft Punk fans who have been uh, varying degrees of completely inappropriate to him um, over the years since since he reviewed uh, this album for Joe, which I highly recommend everybody seeking out and reading because it's a brilliant review. It's funny, it's sharp, and it's all true. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, so I guess like I didn't have a huge sense of disappointment when Random Access Memories came out, and I didn't like it. It was just. It was just more that I was like, well, it, it was released at a time when a lot of artists were kind of disappointing me. So I was like, oh, it's fine. But crucially at the time, I thought, oh, this is just going to be another album in a long line of albums that I just don't listen to by Daft Punk. And now kind of having it as their last big release, it feels to me, I don't know, it, it, it's it's incredibly anticlimactic. And when you're talking about a band that kind of run on climaxes in their songs or run on huge drops and moments of where everything kind of fits together and makes sense and the kind of joy and euphoria of that, when you're ending your your run with Random Access Memories, like the, the poppiest album, the most commercially available album, the album in which they were kind of like like you said like working with producers and singers and songwriters of of the day which is so very not daft punk it feels like an incredibly insincere way to to end a career and i really hope that the, the backlash to the album isn't the thing that stopped them i doubt it is but i mean they no, seem they it. seem like cool enough guys but like it's just it's just such a great shame that this is the last record like and that when people open up their spotify in or their whatever when people blink into their oculus rift in 20 years and think the word staff punk i really ought to get into them that this will be the first thing that comes up for them and i really hope that that's not the case um but yeah no i never i don't i don't have really strong feelings about random access memories because i just, I just didn't yeah i i sort of just didn't allow myself to like but be disappointed by it like because I was disappointed and I was like I'm just not going to dwell on this I'm just not going to yeah, listen to it I'm going to go yeah. listen to Discovery again in a way though I do feel like there's a natural end point to this you've got two people who started you know doing a, like obviously we think we didn't talk about Discovery there is the 
the fact that even at the time it wasn't clear how much of that record was just pure samples, wholesale samples. Mm. Even for me at the time, I was like, it wasn't in the discourse. It didn't seem to be in the discourse. Mm. A couple of years later, people were like, do you know how much Daft Punk sampled for that record? And I was like, oh, does that mm. change? I mean, I don't think it does now. But at the time I was a bit like, okay, they're ripping up. They took this song. I mean, they sampled yeah. all of these with 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 uh, permission. So it's not like they were trying to obfuscate this or hide it. They They did that. But they went from people who were able to make these very taut um beautiful minimal housey uh, like records and who were able to make this beautiful dance music then to making kind of sample heavy going back to the past putting it in a new context then making human after all making their own version of that uh, defining using a vocoder and defi- and remaking that and remodeling that as a modern pop tool mm. and then going back to random x memories where they took all of that well mostly the past stuff took all of the studio and the human elements and made an album with that mm. and then that became this you know this layered there's it's a there's huge amount of tracks on that there's a huge amount of channels there's a huge amount going on you've listened to say touch with paul williams and like with the orchestra and stuff like that you're even like they reached the end point where actually where can they go after this mm. because the only like they've actually done absolutely everything mm. other than a folk album you know what i mean yeah that's, literally that's all a the, really like, good that's all point actually like i think that the 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 end point for a band like them who are so interested in looking at the past and reframing it I think there's only so much you can do that without trying to bring in something modern. And I mean, they were absolutely looking to like the 70s again, I mean, similarly to how, how they were looking at the 80s in, in their previous work. But yeah, like there's there's only so much you can do looking at the past without looking at yourself and saying, OK, well, we need to actually be thinking about the now. And unfortunately, I I just don't think that that worked for them. Like I I would have been far more interested in hearing them sampling the Neptunes or sampling Chic rather than actually getting Pharrell and Nile Rodgers in to work on a track. Do you know what I mean? But had they done that, maybe people would have been saying they're a one trick pony or whatever. But it's yeah, uh, I think they tried yeah, it. It didn't shame. work for most people. Mm. And maybe the smart thing is that it, presumably they don't come back. And the smarter thing is actually they saw the end point before anyone else did and they let it elapse for eight years. And maybe in that, we don't know what happened in that eight years in terms of their music output and what they mm. were doing and recording and their own personal relationship between each other. The other thing that I was thinking about is like Thomas Bangalter always made music uh, separately, but Guy Manuel never really released anything. So mm. you just don't know what the relationship is like in terms of musical output, in terms of vision and creativity. So look, we, we will never know. That. And I think that's really nice that we don't know the ins and outs of their personal relationship hopefully we never will because i don't think it's important to us right now yeah i don't um, think so either and i think you know they left a legacy of of some great music and some of the most influential there are two of the most influential people in music in the last 28 years since they arrived yeah so. i mean we we were talking before we started recording about uh, their their influence on american edm that that show at coachella that sort of just like changed things for america and like to be honest, that's that's always I, I, when was that like two thousand six? I think two thousand six, two thousand seven. Yeah, that that was th- that's a that's a gig that is always kind of cited as being one of those like you like if you were there, you were there moments. But honestly, like I was reading about it yesterday, 
And the uh, like, what annoys me is that nobody thought, no one had the foresight to record it properly. <laughs> yeah. And instead, because I actually being there sounds terrifying. Like they allotted a space for 10,000 people to come and see Daft Punk and 40,000 people basically stormed down and had like the time of their lives and discovered dance music in America. And it was amazing. But that to me sounds like an absolute nightmare. And I wish that somebody had had the foresight to record it and make an actual production out of it because it like from, from the recordings like the shitty phone recordings you can find or like people I mean these were the days when you might have actually still brought a video camera with you to a to a gig the recordings that you can find are stunning like and the people that were there said that it was like life-changing kind of gig so yeah it's a shame that we don't get the same sort of thing sort of production as like and we don't really have one from Daft Punk as like the Chemical Brothers live in Tokyo or even... Well, I mean, a live 2007, but I, I I mean, that's a recording. I mean, that's out there. It's a recording from them in Paris and released in 2007. Mm. Uh, I went to the Alive tour in Marley Park. And mm. I remember, I don't know what happened. I think I actually had two... What year was that? Park. 2006. Yeah, I remember not being allowed August to go. August 2006. And I I actually had to go on my own because no one else I knew wanted to go. Oh, no. So I went on my own to this like, and it was actually kind of a depressing experience for myself because it was like, I was on my own. I didn't, I didn't know anyone. I, you couldn't vibe with people in a, in an outdoor field, you know, in mm. a way of like a club. And I was just left being a bit disappointed. I think a lot of it for me was just. It had just come out after a lot of the album was uh, Human After All. A lot of the set list was Human After All, and I wasn't a big fan of that. So mm. being on your own in a field in the early evening when it goes into into nighttime mm. and listen to that punk is not really what you want. Yeah, and I think so that's... We did not have the experience I wanted. Yeah, basically. that's that's what kind of uh, set the Coachella performance apart because it, they were touring Human After All. But they played the hits like they their their set list was very much focused on the hits. So everyone was kind of there and just vibing with that um, as opposed to going and being like, oh, we're going to go and listen to Daft Punk play their their latest songs. example of a band who maybe you know they're so big that the outpouring was actually quite large you know mm. they 
you know, you see it everywhere you go. Every video you look at, she's like, oh, RIP. I uh, can't believe it's all over. A lot of people have a lot of regrets about not seeing them live, which is something that repeated over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Like there was always rumors. There was rumors in 2017 because they were going to come and do a live 2017 because they'd done a live 97, a live 2007 and all that kind of stuff. And it never happened. Um. So now, I mean, there, obviously, as I said, there are people who believe that this is all a cynical ploy and therefore you know they're never they're going to come back eventually but yeah i think they gave us they gave us uh, a lot to uh to love and a lot to be frustrated by at the same time but yeah. you know it's a it's a thoroughly modern story it's a thoroughly it's an outlandish story as well it's an outlandish mm. story it's the kind of story you'd only dream up for this kind of outlandish music biopic that's mm. the only way you could even imagine that these two teenage uh, Parisian kids would go on to like become the world's most famous robots. Yeah, and wear and clean up at the Grammys. Like yeah. it's such a it's such a cliched um, mm. like movie uh, uh, scene, you know, like the climactic movie scene. And it's it it's cool because uh, well. It's sad, mostly, I think, because we now know officially that their best work is behind them, which is something that we've suspected for a long time. And I think Random Access Memories, as we said, kind of cemented that idea. But I, yeah, I mean, you got to respect a group who bow out when when the time comes. And I really, really hope that we hear more... Like maybe maybe they'll go and they'll like DJ separately around the world. Maybe we'll get some DJ sets from them together, but just not build as Daft Punk. That would be really cool because I'm still really interested in the pair and their music tastes and how they kind of work as as magpies of samples. And it's it's a sad day. Like, I mean, I was listening to Discovery this morning and the sun was shining and I was like, yeah, do you know what? There's like some of my favorite memories have been soundtracked by these songs and the songs that I went on to discover from this band so I am sad about it but it's also like it's it's not a band who are like at the top of their game right now do you know so it's funny because when you you texted me you just texted me Daft, Daft Punk broke up and I just texted back Daft Punk don't break up because it just it sounds weird to say that Daft Punk have broken up it's just they're they just don't make any more music it it yeah, do, do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like because yeah, we don't you. know them as like characters in 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 the same way that like if you texted me saying the Strokes broke up, it would be a completely different feeling, do you know? Um, so yeah, R.I.P. Daft Punk and long live Discovery. Absolutely, and homework and homework, especially for me. Um, yeah. So we did it. We basically talked about Daft Punk for so long that we don't have time to do all the other stuff we're going to do. Um, so we were going to, we were going to talk to Kino Quivon about Andrew Weatherall. And we're going to talk about the new music that we're loving at the moment. But instead, what we're going to do is we're going to post that on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash 909. And you can hear the second part of this podcast there on patreon.com forward slash 909 if you sign up and support us and uh, and another way you can support Andrea is sign up to Andrea's substack andreacleary.substack.com yep there's a new um, post coming within the next week um so look good. out for that so there yeah there we go um more for from us on patreon if you want mm. as well and we'll uh, see you meantime. next week for the choice music prize oh very exciting yes. so so what we've done for next week's episode is to gather 
five former judges, including ourselves. We sat <laughs> three down. former judges. We gathered three <laughs> former judges. <laughs> and ourselves. And five. Ourselves. We all did it before. Yeah. And we talked about the 10 albums nominated for the Choice Music Prize Irish Album of the Year this year. And we picked a winner, essentially, uh, even though that was quite a contentious <laughs> thing in the end um, to actually pick one album out of 10. Yeah, but I think fun. we had a really interesting discussion. We had Una Malali, we had Claire Beck, Owen O'Sullivan from The Point of Everything, Andrea Cleary from the Nine or Nine podcast, <laughs> and Nine, Nine from the Nine or Nine podcast, all there talking for a good hour and a, and a bit about these 10 albums that are nominated and are going to be decided next week um, uh, on on a ceremony on Thursday, Thursday, March 4th from 12 to 3, 4th, yeah, uh, uh, from 12 to 3 afternoon on RT2FM and the RT player. And uh, also I should shout out to Claire this weekend, if you're listening to this now, because she is doing a Daft Punk special on the radio this weekend. Um, so that is on Saturday, her Saturday sound system on Today FM, three hours of Daft Punk as well. So if you are if you haven't had enough of Daft Punk yet, then you can have more by listening to Claire Beck on Saturday night. Yeah. So that's it from us, right? Yeah. Bye, That's everybody. All right. Stay safe. Wash Thanks, your hands. We'll see you next week for the choice. Bye. Okay. Bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.